when we arrived here, the, the place was in a state of considerable neglect. It hadn't been lived in for a while, and both the, the land and the house uh, clearly demonstrated that. Our first objective was to produce as much food as possible. So we did very little on the buildings in uh, the first year that we were here, concentrating mainly on growing vegetables, producing our own milk, uh, getting the bees going, that sort of thing. As you can see, we've got, I suppose, rather over an acre now cultivated in one way or another with, with vegetables. And the small amount of hay that we need has been cut and saved and the rest is grazing the bees are now we have seven hives we started off with two hives uh, two years ago built up to four last year and this year we're, we're now up to seven hives there's every appearance of them giving a very good crop this year although for these parts it's still early in the in the year Jill very much does most of the work with the bees and uh, she's the expert, you'll have to ask her about them. The goats, we, at the moment we have three adult and goats and one kid that we're rearing. We're milking two of the goats, they're yielding fairly well, about a gallon a day each. They're sarnan goats, uh, and seem very suited to the to the the life that they have here, which is a small amount of free ranging, and the rest of the time they're they're tethered. There is of course a a big variety of herbage for them to graze on in these parts, and that 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 seems to suit them very well. Rod and I met each other at university. We'd both been doing a few other things before. I'd worked on a, an adventure playground in. London beforehand I, I don't think I'm the best person to to describe either of us but I think we're both people who like a good deal of control over our lives and that's why we're doing this sort of thing and we also have other bents that, that, that mean that we're gardening rather than say making wooden spoons or something from Leitrim spruce I think we we are people who are naturally fairly frugal I mean it doesn't it's not a pain to us to have to do without sumptuous clothes and beautiful furniture we take fairly easily without too much grumbling to the to the discipline of the farm. I mean, I think that the point is that we accept the discipline of the farm, whereas neither of us accept the discipline of an employer. And, and indeed, we work, I'm sure, much harder for ourselves than, than we ever would conceive of doing for somebody else. Well, Leitrim, of course is in the northwest of Ireland and we are in the north part of North Leitrim 
Leitrim's an, an odd sort of county, divided very much into two parts with uh, the scenery, the activity of the two parts being very separate, in fact. We're in, I suppose, only a couple of miles from the border um, with, with County Fermanagh, and you can see, if you look down through the trees, Loch Melvin, which has the border running through the, uh, through the lake. And uh, the house, as you can see, is very much the standard uh, kitchen and two-roomed house for the area. And the shed at the end of it, we started to rebuild last summer. And as you can see, still requires quite a bit doing on it. On the right-hand side is what must have been a garden in the past. It was very overgrown when we arrived, but it wasn't difficult to, to get into, into some sort of reasonable production. The soil was deep and fairly good. And if we uh, move over and come down here now, you'll see that <coughs> we've quite a lot of, a lot of this area cultivated. This is very typical land for the area. It's a very thin layer of topsoil on daub, uh, very much the badlands of North Leitrim. And a good bit of this has been, I suppose, cultivated for two years now, and it is just starting to get reasonable. You can see in, in that, that patch there the pulse, that's peas and beans, and some of those are, are yielding very well. Um, and on, on the left there, um, mostly root crops, uh, carrots, turnips, onions, and below that a small area of corn, oats, mainly grown to rethatch the, the the shed that we started rebuilding last year. But the corn will also be for the hens, and below that again uh, is the potato crop. We were not farmers, I think. We're, we're, we're gardeners. We have a bit of land which we use, a, a bit of grassland which we use basically to save hay on and also to, to, to graze the, the goats on. And we look after this. This might, if the vegetable cooperative comes underway, be put under cultivation gradually. The goats need very little and indeed can be put up onto mountainy land which we don't own. So... In front of the house we have the kitchen garden, that is the garden which we use mainly for ourselves. It's got the biggest variety of vegetables in it. We have fruit, um, fairly new raspberry canes just coming into, into fruit. Ancient apple trees with a blossom all killed with frost this year, but in other years we've had a marvellous supply of fruit off them. Um, black currants and gooseberries, which we've, which are nearly over now. Um, there are strawberries further down, um, which young plants we've just started to pick. We, we aim to have fruit in, in one way or another all the year round, um, fresh fruit at this time of the year, and bottled fruit or dried fruit for the rest of the year. Well, like uh, much else, knew nothing about turf before we came to Eden. 
and so totally ignorant I took myself up to the bog and I think all I knew was that you needed a turf spade so I got myself a turf spade in fact the wrong one the right and left handed turf spades and I um, dig left handedly but got myself a right handed turf spade I was very fortunate uh, some people who were cutting close by me were very patient in giving me advice on the way to cut and uh, so gradually I learned some of the art of cutting and saving turf we mostly burn turf but when we're clearing some of the overgrown hedges that of course yields some firewood as well and you've also deliberately had the electricity disconnected that's right uh, the original idea was to build a wind generator which I started work on and came up across difficulties and somehow I've never got around to uh, resuming activity on that but it is something I hope we will do in the, in the near future This is a bed that, that's just become empty. Um, it was growing seed, brassicas, cabbage and, and, and cauliflower. And so I'm just digging in a bit of manure for the next crop, which will probably be some a late sowing of pulse, perhaps. The, the, the garden's cultivated very intensively so that as, as soon as one crops out you prepare the ground for another it, it is important to feed we found to our cost the odd bits of ground that have become neglected they, the fertility they just simply don't grow the same quality of crop the next year so that we have to con we continually watch that, that, that ground is adequately fed and, and immediately we, we keep records of what we have done to each patch to make sure that they're properly limed and manured each year. But you can get more than just one crop from the garden yes. in a season? We, we aim to, to get two out of any land that's not growing winter vegetables. Things like parsnips go in too early and come out too late for there to be more than the one crop. Is this something that people in Leitrim could do generally that they're not aware of? I think so. Um, it's if you're trying to feed yourself, you 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 naturally do these things because you to, to make best use of what you have. But of course, if you've plenty of land, it doesn't matter if land lies idle. That the important thing is is that it's fed adequately, so that what you take out goes back in, basically. The, the, the geese uh, don't play a very large part in uh, our activities. Uh, fairly inoffensive, unobtrusive parts of the holding.
so far we haven't had a great deal of success as you can see there's only one gosling this year uh, they don't require feeding at all they <coughs> simply graze around the place and it could be that their main function is that they are superb watchdogs any strange activity in the area they immediately set up the alarm well we started keeping a couple just ourselves for the honey but bees have a way of multiplying and and we have seven colonies now and I try to sell enough honey to cover the cost of increase of, of wood for the hives which I make and wax and frames for instance last year I spent about 50 or 60 pounds and I sold about that value of honey too uh, this year I, I spent rather more and will hope to sell a bit more there's an initial investment the amount depending on how handy you are how able you are to make your own hives but but after that there the bees are you you need no land there's just in the northwest a massive of, of overgrown hedgerow there's no spraying you don't have the danger you have in England of bees being killed with aerial spraying I, it's a, it's in some respects, apart from the weather, an absolutely perfect environment for bees. And it seems a pity that every wee house doesn't have one or two hives. But for honey for itself, for a few pounds for sale to cover the costs, there's, there's, there's no reason why everybody shouldn't keep bees like that. And for, that, that seems to me to have much more value than, say, a dozen people keeping several thousand hives and selling it through the shops. There's no need for that. I suppose it's just something that you can look at in two different ways. Um, there is an element of running away from a society that seems to dehumanise the members of that society. But it wasn't, in any sense, I'm sure, for either of us, sort of blind, let's get out of it. It was seeing something that we thought was better and moving towards that, it, it, um, <clears throat> which I suppose must be what is behind any choice that anybody makes about their lives. If they change their job, in one way they are running away from their old job, but they're moving what, to what they think is a better job. We were moving to what we thought was a better way of life. I think I see ourselves as two people who have taken a look at conventional society and the way it operates and have rejected it as not being a good or satisfying way of living. And we are moving, stumbling towards uh, a way of life that has better, has greater satisfactions and that is more humane. It, it, it doesn't try and make people uh, into parts of 
the machine. There's no, there's certainly no doubt in my mind that we've we've made the right choice. I mean, that the good life is is a better way. I whenever I venture out back to a city, even sit with people in a train or in a cafe. It's so self-evident that that what we do is almost commonsensical, commonsensically right and and better. There's a there's a beekeeping f- friend not far from here who puts it this way: she sees people going out to factories to make silly little things in order to make money to buy silly little things, things which last no time, which do nothing permanent. Just great waste very often. Prevent people really getting, remove people from the land. And it seems to me that if people deny that kind of existence, the land could support them, could support far more. I mean, the, the more possessions you you surround yourself with. And the higher your consumption is generally, the the more land is is needed to to support a, a given population. If people's needs are small, then the land can support them quite comfortably. It, it it certainly is possible to make a living off four acres. I mean, obviously, because some people make a living on a good deal less. You can you can treat your four acres more or less. With more or less capital, I mean, if we put up greenhouses, our living would soar. But so would the investment. It it depends somewhat on the way you are living. For instance, we require a very small money income. We produce virtually all our own food, our own fuel. We don't have expensive tastes in clothes or furniture or furnishings. And <coughs> I suppose that. If if you were prepared to, if you, if you were not prepared to work hard, it, it would be impossible as well. We arise at the the very peaceful hour of half past six in the morning, and that is more or less fixed winter and summer. It's hard to uh, say what is a typical day, because what happens during the day depends to a great extent on the, the season of the year, the activities that are actually being invo- were involved in at the time. But you could say that the, for the first hour or so, very routine things like milking the goats and feeding chickens and ducks, watering, perhaps ventilating the, the glass house, feeding ourselves with a bit of breakfast, take place. That's for the first hour or so. After which, uh, one of us will be in the kitchen for, I suppose, another hour or so, doing whatever housework needs to be done, as far as possible, trying to do it for the for the whole day, while the other person will be starting with whatever his or her activities are for the day. Um, at this time of the year, it, I might be going off to 
work on hay with a neighbour. At another time of year, I might be going up to the bog or working on the, the garden here or cutting our own hay here. And we usually stop. We have plenty of tea and coffee, tea breaks. Uh, we usually stop for a tea break at um, in the middle of the morning. And then stop again for lunch at around one o'clock. If it's busy as it tends to be in the summer when we have too much to do, uh, the breaks will be kept fairly short and we'll be back to work on whatever we're doing again. And then we will work on until sometime in the evening when we stop for dinner. In the winter we try in winter and any time when there isn't too much to do, we try and finish at about six or half past six to give some time for relaxation, for reading, for playing music, uh, or for killing on a neighbour. At this time of year, it usually is half past ten or eleven before we're eating the evening meal. And after that, there's still odd things to be done around the house, and odd activities like working on the newsletter or on the vegetable co-op or just writing letters or whatever. So the day, at the moment anyway, is a very long day. in the rack is comfrey which is a good green feed for them for oh, a good eight months of the year particularly in the spring when nothing else when all your cabbage is finished it gives them a bit of green bite when they're just about to kid and a good source of protein the rest of the year they get um, about a pound of barley meal a, a day each depending on what their yield is when they're dry this is stopped they milk for 10 months of the year although if they're not going to be kidding you can run them through another year and these goats here they're, they're a sarnan a breed called sarnan and produce between six and twelve pints, uh, depending on, on their age and um, on the feeding too. We hope to build up a few more goats, perhaps raising one or two a year for a while. We'd like to make more cheese, enough to last through the winter. That's 50 or 100 pounds. There's, there's a sale for it, I discovered, down in Dublin. And so that's another possibility, another way in which the goats could pay for themselves. Each of us does the domestic work. In, in fact, and 
probably is a, a sore fact for Jill. She does do rather more than I do. And for instance, uh, when I'm working on the turf, I'm probably away most days. And uh, return in the evening rather expecting a, a meal to be waiting for me. But generally, if, if things are running normally, alternate days we, we, we do the domestic work. We eat what we produce as far as possible, and what we produce is mostly vegetables or milk or dairy products. But if we have a hen that needs killing, then we eat her. And if we're rearing chicks and they happen to be roosters, then again we we, we eat them. It uh, is obviously true that. The most efficient use of land, from the point of view of providing food, is uh, to produce vegetables. The conversion of food in, in, into meat gives you a much lower return for the area of land. Jill, one of the things about Eden Farm is that you keep uh, farm accounts, although you only have less than four acres, you still keep very um, concise, very accurate accounts of how much you spend, how much you, you, you yes. uh, earn. Could you tell me something about the account system here? Well, the best thing to do is to, is to look at a, at a certain month, perhaps. Um, for instance, May of this year, the income, and this is going to seem ludicrously just small to somebody working in a factory, I'm sure, income was between 60 and 70 pounds that included the sale of three kids, tomato plants and various vegetables and eggs the expenditure um, apart from the honey extractor was fairly typical um, about six pounds on meals that would in fact last for rather more than a month um, and about ten pounds spent on tools a few odd packets of seed and the like so that in in fact the in in small things the in income and expenditure more or less balance certainly over the year they balance but there are odd expenses which will gradually cease and when they cease then, then, then perhaps we can properly say that we are self-sufficient. You, you don't have a great deal of money do you to spend on, on clothes or on uh, household commodities? <laughs> we, we don't at all and, and I suppose it's lucky that, that we don't particularly want those things. I mean if we have money clothes are the, the last thing that, that it would be spent on. We, we would indulge in a bit of travel or a few books, I think, if we had that kind of money. You don't have a car? You don't even have a bicycle? No. Well, I wouldn't mind having a bicycle. We, we used to have a car when we first came to Ireland four years ago, and um, I wasn't sorry to see the back of it. The, it. It can't be said that we don't use a car in that we've many kind friends and neighbours who help us out with the car if we need to transport something heavy. But 
I wouldn't have a car on my back, ever. Neither of us get out very much. And when I go out of an evening, it tends to be mostly in the winter and more than likely it will be to Kaliana in a neighbouring house. We have quite a lot of people call here. Uh, Through the summer, there's nearly always at least one person staying, friends from England or friends from Ireland, people sometimes who we don't know who've heard about what we're doing and are interested, and usually, and we'd like everybody to do this, they've written and asked whether they could stay before landing here. And so that... Uh, provides us with some social life with the, the people that are visiting. Occasionally also we will visit other people we know in other parts of Ireland, uh, sometimes people that are doing the same sort of thing, other times just people that we have something else in common with and stay perhaps a, a night or a couple of nights visiting them. Well, it's been nothing but a nuisance, the, the fact that the place is called Eden. Um, we never thought of it at all until it started to be a source of ribaldry. Not amongst people around here, of course, where it's quite ordinary, but, but with people writing and the like. It, it, inevitably, it was thought to be a name that we'd given the place and something that neither of us would ever do. Not, not a name like that, it's rather coy and twee. And we've we've learnt to live with the, the fact that it's called the Garden of Eden and, and try not to mind too much about it. Well, as you can see, I'm no typist. We ought, we ought to have a secretary here. I'm working on the newsletter, uh, Northwest Newsletter, at the moment. This is something that uh, came out of the weekend gathering we had in June last summer, where it was very much felt that uh, there should be more communication between people like ourselves who, who have moved into the into the area. Uh, just finish this. Right. Um, none of us, of course, have very much time to devote to the, to the newsletter. I do the editing and with quite a lot of help from various other people in the area. And as far as possible, I try to write very little of the, of the newsletter. People send in material for it. It serves really two, two main uh, functions. It, it is a form of communication between people who have chosen to live for whatever reason in the northwest of Ireland probably have come out from living in a city or a town. And it also uh, provides information, mostly of a very practical nature, on keeping goats, on growing vegetables. I hope that as time goes on, the newsletter will, de will develop so that it is ever increasingly concerned 
with more general topics of development in the Northwest. Uh, the sort of development I mean is uh, using local resources, small-scale development, anything to do with the revitalization of a somewhat demoralized society. never really seems to be an evening. The evenings, the famous evenings when you sit down at your spinning wheel or you make the wee things, knit the wee things. They just never seem to happen at all. But some, sometimes it's time to read a book or a page of a book and play a few notes, go for a walk. We live in a very beautiful part and the evenings, the summer evenings are just gorgeous. Well, I suppose that as well as wanting to be more or less self-sufficient as far as food and fuel and the like is concerned, we also feel that it's good to be, to some extent, self-sufficient as far as uh, enjoyment or relaxation. And both of us enjoy playing music, and it is one of the sad facts of our time here that we've had very little time to, to play music. For instance, we've virtually not played since about Christmas. Uh, it just ha doesn't seem to have been time. This is Jill's harpsichord, um, Jill's spinet, and perhaps she'll tell you about it. It, it. it was, in fact, made near Lancaster. Yes, well, I, I was given a few hundred pounds while I was a student at Lancaster, and at about that time we heard about this harpsichord and spinet maker near the university, so went off just to see what his workshop would be like and have a talk with him. No sooner had we seen what he was making than it very much wanted to have have one to to play the sort of music that we were playing anyway on a piano which didn't never had sounded at all right. So he made us one in about nine months. I suppose one reason why we don't play as much music as we'd like is because the spinet goes very quickly out of tune and takes quite a long while uh, to, to be tuned. And one other form of music that we play is... Uh, I, I, I play the guitar, or rather I'm trying to teach myself to play the guitar. I bought the guitar when we came to Ireland, and in, in some ways it uh, fits in more easily with our life in that... When we come in for a tea break, it's possible to pick it up and strum a few chords on it, whereas there isn't time to go and tune the spinet. Uh, and it also means that we can move away from purely classical music to, to other types of music as well.
I suppose our lives are an attempt to establish uh, a realistic alternative for ourselves and I suppose also for anyone else who finds looking at ourselves in any way useful or helpful. And what kind of alternative is that going to be? <laughs> to put in a few words, it's very difficult now. I, it's an alternative where there's much more stress on enjoyment in doing things that have to be done, enjoyment throughout the life, throughout the day, uh, a, a way of life that places little value on consumer goods, and I suppose an alternative to uh, decompartmentalization of a person's life uh, so that it's very much not a case of working six hours or eight hours or whatever it is a day to be able to enjoy spending a few pounds in the evening working. We work because we enjoy what we're doing. It's, it's something that, that's growing. I mean, more people are moving in than are moving out in despair. Um, there's just, there are just so many th things that are making people value this, this way of life. I mean, both things ecological, I mean, the, the objective state of the world, and, and just their own, the, the pleasure of doing something on your own.